0: Welcome. I'm Uri.
1: And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Talkless, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general.
0: So Rifki, have you heard of this thing, the Tinder swindler?
1: <sighs> no. Not only have I heard of it, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I saw the I saw the movie on Netflix, and now I'm listening to the podcast, the, mm-hmm. the series about it. Mm-hmm. I've been talking with people about it constantly. I'm I'm I can't stop thinking about it. Or did did you watch it? I
0: did. I watched it. I listened to the podcast. I didn't hear that final episode about his like personal life. um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we say what it is? Do people already? Everyone knows already.
1: Well, okay. So without spoilers, the Tinder Swindler is a documentary on Netflix. Not long. Maybe it's like what an hour and fifteen it's movie, an hour and a yeah. half. Yeah. Um, ...telling the story of someone who is a Tinder swindler, basically. He meets women on Tinder and swindles them out of lots of money. And so we don't want to give it away and you can watch it and you should watch it... ...especially because we're going to be discussing the show next week. So in fact prep now, so there are no spoilers, but also send in questions, send in things that you're thinking about and want to talk about, because this is something that I think is particularly intriguing. And by the way, if you're asking yourself, why the heck are they talking about it? Let's just uh, be more explicit about the connection. This guy, the Tinder swindler, is Israeli. And that's. it is unclear what the relevance of that is, right. let's say it that way.
0: Not just Israel, so, he came from an ultra-Orthodox family in B'nai yes. Brak
1: yes yes it's really 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 interesting stuff so stay tuned everyone for next week you can find a bit of everything on tinder but one little swipe can change your life i only miss you when when i
0: first talked with simon immediately we had a bond he was smart and funny and very impulsive I shared my whole heart with him, and then he asked me if I wanted to travel with him on a private jet. Well, a little bit of a different type of subject for this week. Um, Kind of a little more of a downer, less exciting in a way. But uh, Mm -hmm. we wanted to talk about COVID. Basically, Um, it's interesting, Rifke. We did some episodes in the very, very beginning, um, and we haven't really talked about COVID that much in the last year. Maybe because we just tried not to think about it more than we have to. But the first episode we did was March 17th, 2020, which seems like a lifetime ago. It's crazy. Um, the title of the episode was, What a Crazy Year This Past Week Has Been, Checking In with Rabbi Heshi Billet. And that was like really in the beginning when modern orthodox shuls, um had decided to shut down. It was like right after Purim. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so then we did uh, May 14th, 2020, we did How to Respond to a Rogue Minion about people who weren't following the rules of like shuls a being, minyanim being closed and shut down, and people were doing these rogue minyanim, and we talked about the morality, the ethics of that. Does that even make sense that people are risking their lives in theory to, to Daven, you know, and that whole thing? And then we talked in October 2020, we, t- we did coronavirus clashes in Brooklyn with David Teitelbaum, again, exploring specifically in the mm-hmm. more right-wing, um, yeshivish world, what seemed to be, to to outsiders at least, like a real, like a flaunting of COVID restrictions, um, especially Mm -hmm. in light of the fact that like so many, in the Jewish community specifically, and in the more yeshivish community even more specifically, were hit just so hard in the beginning, and then only a couple, a few months later, it seemed like they were already just moving on and, and acting as if nothing had ever happened.
1: And we also did one episode. It's not exactly the same thing, but we did an episode about people jumping the line for uh, for COVID vaccines, right? Gosh. Which is sort of like, like the the opposite. It feels like triggering to even be bringing up this topic, like, right? The whole oh, thing. I mean, God. right?
0: Jumping the line is almost like the opposite. It's not flaunting the restrictions. It's yeah. like take embracing it, but doing it in an unfair way or whatever. But anyway, yeah. I, mean, I remember we um, asked these questions way back then. Like, what is this gonna? What are the effects that this is gonna have? On our society at large and on specifically on the Jewish community, um, that was something that we were wondering and asking and thinking about and now we're kind of like in the future in a way it's you know to some extent mm-hmm. and i don't know is this how does it compare to where you think we were then what we were foreseeing th- at this point
1: honestly it 's weird to think about I mean to think that two years ago as everything was shutting down, we were kind of asking what are things going to look like and it's now been such an overwhelming amount of time. We've gone through so much as a community, as individuals, just just, just think about like me and you like you know you got married your wedding was like probably nothing that you thought it was going to be you know like over the last bunch of years when you're like oh what am I get, what's my wedding going to look like one day is that what you thought it would look like you know, and I, you know I had a kid like is this is the childhood that she you know she's almost a year old is this what I thought her first year is right. going to be like you know like you know, a lot of things are really different that, than we expect and of course not to mention the unimaginable loss that so many people have had in their own families in their own lives uh, family members dying there's been there's been such a such an overwhelming past two years but honestly when I think about the next two years I can't even predict even that, you know, it doesn't right. feel like what it, what it is today is going to be what it is two years, or I hope not anyway. So it's honestly, it, it feels so overwhelming to even try to, try to think about and compare. What right. about you?
0: For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I feel similarly. The, the thing that we wanted to talk, to focus on specifically this week, or let's say the, the springboard uh, to get into more of a conversation, broader conversation, was a tweet that uh, was tweeted last week by Rabbi Steven Berg.
1: All right, before starting, I'm actually curious. When did you first see this tweet?
0: Uh, I think I was just scrolling through Facebook, and I saw either the original tweet or the follow-up to the tweet. Right. Uh, that was, I guess, reposted on Facebook, um, and people commenting on it, maybe other people reposting it. It just had, It seemed to have so much uh, engagement. Right.
1: This, he tweeted at, I think, Sunday like mid-afternoon. And the reason I'm asking specifically is because Sunday night was the Super Bowl. And I was at the Super. We mm-hmm. re- recently, uh, my husband and I and daughter all had COVID, so we decided to host a Super Bowl party for only people who had also recently recovered from mm. COVID. So we had, I think, five friends over. So a few hours later, we were all sitting around watching the Super Bowl, and it was all anyone could talk about. Mm, like really? this tweet. Like we okay, weren't talking so about the game let's explain the commercials. Right. So, first of all, yes.
0: okay. Rabbi Stevenberg is the CEO of Eishat Torah. And he also serves on the board of governors of the Jewish Agency, as an executive board member of the Rabbinical Council of America, and a board member of the Yeshiva University High Schools and Naleh High School. Okay, that's from the AISH website. So on Sunday, February 13th, Super Bowl Sunday, this is what he tweeted. Just had a disappointing visit to the YU Svarim sale. They were carding everyone for vaccinations and walking around telling people to put on masks. A reminder why the modern Orthodox community has had such a hard time getting past COVID. Why you need to do a better job or become irrelevant. That was, that was the tweet. And uh, Rifki, what were your initial reactions to seeing that?
1: I mean, I could tell you that my initial reaction was like, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for Rabbi Berg. I don't know Rabbi Berg. I want to just say it straight out. I don't know him. I've, I've actually heard very positive things about him as an individual. I've heard he's a mensch. I've heard really good things. Uh, I know that he also very much comes from the modern orthodox world. He was at the OU for a very long time. Um, and he, I, yeah, as he actually mentioned, he has kids at YU. But I think that writing this, I think, was was embarrassing. I think that it really, really made me wince. Um, mm-hmm. Forget about the idea of whether he thinks that they should be wearing masks at this farm sale, uh, which is just for, for listeners who don't know, this farm sale is an annual event in which YU, a huge room at Yeshiva University is basically converted into a Judaica store. Bookstore, where things yeah. Can be, yeah, c- things can be purchased at a fairly big discount. Uh, and it's also like a huge social event. And right. it's a really nice thing that this social event is centered around buying Jewish books. There's something really nice about that. So... Um, I don't think what was embarrassing was him disagreeing with YU's policy or with YU's choice, whatever. I think what was embarrassing was his connection between that and the idea that why you and the modern Orthodox community should be getting past COVID and why you need to do a better job or become irrelevant. There's something so aggressive about the way that he brought up this conversation in a way that made me feel like you are literally the CEO of a Kiruv organization. Your job is to bring Jews together with other Jews and create community and make people be inspired by the beauty of Torah and Judaism and God. And the way that you approach this, I thought was really upsetting. When I say you, I assume that he's
0: listening. (laughs) Well, Um, so so, yeah, Yeah. I did.
1: Yeah, I I did. I I found it really hard to, hard to read. Yeah. What about you, what did you think seeing that original tweet?
0: I hear that. So I want to first of all say, I don't know Rabbi Berg personally. Um, Mm -hmm. I have interacted with him kind of, uh, recently in a professional setting, and I was actually kind of blown away by how kind he was to me, somebody he didn't mm-hmm. know, and he kind of, like, thanked me for, for being there. I was working at this event, and he was talking to me. Like, he was very busy with a million other things, and I've encountered so many, like, you know, heads of organizations at these type of events um, who don't give you the time mm-hmm. of day or are just actually right. rude to you as a, as a you know, worker or the help or whatever. And um, he didn't have to, and, he, and it wasn't his job, but he made sure I had what I needed, and he was very, very nice. That's just my personal... Interaction with him and, mm-hmm. and from what I've heard also Just a very nice guy
1: Yeah And this By the way This isn't the point Of our conversation But I, it feels like It just goes to show That like people Are always different On the internet And maybe well, we're all yes. A little bit worse That's part internet. of it And also just As how people. We have such
0: a small Community that I think If we have You know just I, I feel the need to say That personal interaction Just because like I think it's relevant And I think it matters But um, Yeah oh 100% When I-, I saw that first tweet I was all I was thrown off I was And um I wasn't sure what to make of it. I also didn't totally understand what he meant. Like, it seemed mm-hmm. to kind of come out of left field. Like, okay, you're criticizing the mask policy and the carding policy, but then you're talking about modern orthodoxy having a hard time getting past COVID. What does that mean to get past COVID? I'm not exactly sure what he meant by that. Like, COVID is there. It is what it is. What does it mean to, like, does he mean, like, it's over and we have to move on? I think that's mm. probably what he meant. But then, and then the next sentence is also like, why you need to do a better job or become r- irrelevant. Like, I also just wasn't sure what he was saying, but there was a follow-up. Right. Um, he, he, he had a very long post on Facebook following up to that. And, and so I'll, I'll read excerpts from that. And then I want to hear what your thoughts are. But I will just say, when I saw the follow-up, which I think I may have seen the follow-up at the same time as the original, because I was a little bit late mm. to the game. And reading the follow-up actually turned me. And I was like, okay, I still don't 100% understand what he meant, but I'm actually on his side now. And I uh-huh. get what he was trying to do, and I think he didn't... I don't really see him doing... I don't think he did anything wrong by that post. And if anything, um, bringing up, like, difficult conversations, I actually think is a very important thing. So yeah. l- let me let me read parts of his um, follow-up. This was, like, a very long letter, basically, open letter that he posted on Facebook. So... Um, we'll post the link to the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read uh, uh, some parts Mm -hmm. of it. Dear friends and members of the YU community, this is perhaps the first time I have written to explain a tweet. I generally would have ignored most of the responses, but I believe the issue I commented on is an important one, and while I don't regret my comment, I believe it important to explain my thought process. Social media can be fairly judgmental, which I don't necessarily find to be so problematic, because it encourages conversation. Obviously, when folks start to get mean, it is not conducive, but actually discussing issues, I believe, are very important. I commented on the process of getting into the YU's farm sale. My comments were specifically directed at the outdated nature of the entrance process, asking for proof of vaccine at the door, and having people inside asking everyone to continually mask up, not allowing young children under five to attend. My comments were made as a father of three current YU students. My sons were all third-generation MTA students. My wife and I are alumni, and I sit on the board of the Yeshiva University High Schools. So it was ironic when people chose to make fun of the institution I currently work at. Perhaps the eclectic nature of Aish should be appreciated that the CEO has so many connections to Yu. Okay, I'm skipping a little bit where he basically said he he says that he hasn't been happy with the Yu COVID policy for the last number of months, which kind of puts this into context of where this was coming from from him in terms of his frustration. Then he says. In terms of my comments regarding the modern orthodox community, I believe it is a known issue as the orthodox union and others have have started conversation regarding how to get members back to shul. I have been to a number of large modern orthodox synagogues that are struggling for weekly minyonim as many have stayed away from shul. This is a real issue that must be dealt with. Okay, then he, then he says how he really loves this farm sale. This is not a, anything against the students who put it together. And he also says that a YU rabbi um, messaged him privately, accusing him of Lush Nahara, which he pushes back on. He says, well, I didn't mention any names and, and whatever. And then at the end, he concludes... In short, I am triple vaxxed and wear an Israeli synovia mask when required. I was pointing out a policy that seemed to be outdated and inconsistent. I am surprised by the overwhelming feedback, but I don't regret my comments. A Jewish community where one can't respectfully state their opinion is not one that I cherish to belong to. I hope the YU administration will hear some of what is being said and start a meaningful dialogue with their students and their parents. Please feel free to comment below, but I urge you to keep them civil and on point. Let's dialogue in a productive manner, which, with much love and affection even for those that disagree with me. Okay, so that was the follow-up. And also, just to be clear, I don't know if we said this explicitly, there were hundreds and hundreds of comments on the original Twitter post, then on the follow-up Twitter post, then on the Facebook post. The
1: Facebook post itself has 250 comments, and it was limited to, uh, I'm not sure who it was limited to, but like I couldn't leave a comment, even if I wanted to.
0: Mm -hmm. Many hundreds, at least. Yes. So what did you, so I'll just say quickly, when I saw that follow-up, first of all, it explained things a little bit. It explained that First of all, I didn't realize this farm cell so wasn't letting kids under five in. I, I do yeah. think I, I don't agree. I, I think that's I don't know what I feel about that, but that is I think legitimate to to have a problem with. Um, and the fact that he's had issues with YU in the past in terms of their COVID policy, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know really know what to say about that. But the the point of of bringing up. Um, I guess it reminded me of the Joe Rogan thing. That That's really what it was, where he's basically saying, we should be allowed to talk about this and it shouldn't be the case that anybody who disagrees or, or questions is like, you know, violating halacha or a terrible person. And he also says how so many people um, messaged him privately, but were scared to say anything publicly for fear of being like, you know, tarred and feathered as a science denier or whatever. He didn't say it in those words. But like, that's why I think so many of the comments were negative because the people who supported him just didn't say anything because they don't want to get in trouble and like it says something and the reason why I said Joe Rogan is because like same kind of thing where people are trying to silence anybody who questions anything and like listen I'm vaxxed I'm boosted I personally wear a mask everywhere because I don't want to get COVID even if I don't think I'm gonna get seriously ill like just for me for work and and family members and whatever like I just Mm -hmm. would rather play it safe and for me it's not a big deal to wear a mask but what about kids who are in school like that's like a huge thing right now kids in school required to wear a mask it's like damaging psychologically um damaging education-wise. But anyway, when I read that response, it put things into context for me. He was respectful. I didn't think he had anything to apologize for, really, um, because I think he was forcefully, you know, pushing against the policy, but not, like, in a way that I found to be inappropriate or... Or particularly rude I don't think and so that put into context and that made me a lot more sympathetic to what he was saying even if I don't fully agree like if I was going to this farm sale I didn't go I would be happy to wear a mask and I would never post on social media what the hell why did I have to wear a mask like I I just wouldn't but if somebody else wants to I don't think they should be vilified for doing that
1: right so I, I don't see the, and I, let me, let me, let me start by saying like, I'm with you that like dialogue is important and having public conversations is also very often important. The idea that people don't feel comfortable speaking publicly when they fundamentally disagree with something like this and they feel invested in YU is, I think, a sad thing. I think people should feel comfortable speaking publicly. I think the bigger problem was not Steven Berg saying, Hey, I love YU and I love this farm sale, but I don't feel great about this choice. I think the bigger problem is that that's not what he said. He said, I had a disappointing visit. They were doing X. A reminder why the modern Tax community has had such a hard time getting past COVID, why you need to do a better job or become irrelevant. What he wrote was so unnecessarily aggressive and demonizing. Like, I think maybe demonizing is too strong a word, but like the idea that his follow-up is like, whoa, 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 people misunderstood and then saying all these things that he didn't actually say and didn't apologize. I do think he has well, something thing to apologize for. I well, do a think tweet that is the very short. That he took- he, You can't say yeah, a lot of course, in a of tweet. of course, of course. He could say that too. He could say I was I was too flippant because it was short. It's a good reminder why Twitter is bad and, you know, there that there, there's a and whatever. Like there's a way to do the approach, and I think the approach that he took and, and look, again, I think dialogue is important and I don't know what I think of what US policies should be. I don't feel like I have the, you know, the I have the confidence to say what I think it should be or what I think it shouldn't be but I do think that what he said was disappointing to me and mm-hmm. I think his follow-up of sort of like oh I'm so glad we could start some meaningful conversation here is more and more context um, I totally don't regret or apologize is like to me more embarrassing well, again okay, listen, I'm like yeah. Rebecca Berg take a step back and understand that yes a lot of people were incredibly rude in their responses to you both on Facebook and on Twitter but a lot of people weren't a lot of people weren't rude and they're like hey this is why what you wrote makes us, makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. This
0: like, is upsetting. Like I said, and I, we, so I we can w-
1: actually go into yeah. some of the responses that I think do, okay, sure, actually start interesting conversations. Yes,
0: let's do that. I just want to say very quickly, first of all, a couple of things. I forgot to say in, in my thoughts and, and seeing the follow-up, the one thing that put into context that I totally didn't understand was the modern orthodox thing and he mentions the, the shul attendance. And that's a complicated issue, but it makes a lot more sense if that's what he meant. That that actually aren't...
1: threw me off even more. Because really? I feel like, I, I mean, it always goes to, you know, the circles we're in. But I know a lot more people who aren't going to shul because they don't feel comfortable going into a space and potentially getting COVID right. versus people who are staying away from shul because they have to be masked. And maybe I'm misunderstanding no, what he everything, wrote.
0: Everything is combined together. I think it's very hard to separate the reasons why people aren't going to shul. I'm personally not going to shul, mainly for COVID reasons. I mean, on th- on the surface, I actually, I said this like a year and a half ago, like, shul's hard for me in general. And this is yeah. in some ways an excuse. Like, I'm being totally honest, you know, um, but I also really just don't want to catch COVID because if I can't, you know, f- go out yeah, to work of for, for two weeks, then that that's like very bad also for me and whatever my grandparents live with my, with my parents right now and whatever it is but um, yeah. that's, a, that's a very real thing for, for a rabbi who, who's involved in communal life to talk about shul attendance and how shuls are not like making minyanim. like that's a very serious issue and I think what well, we spoke right, about a year and a half ago like between... people who don't hold that in the same regard have to understand the, how seriously many Jews take that You know, obviously, people are staying away for COVID reasons. But I think he's saying that at some point, we have to go back to normal. And people who are immunocompromised, people who are just scared or whatever, for whatever reason, they obviously shouldn't be coming. But what about everybody else? And how the masks fit into that? I'm not sure. The other thing I just wanted to say was, like, we talked last week about Whoopi Goldberg and how, you know, she said something really bad. And then she doubled down, you know, and she wouldn't apologize. And finally, she did apologize, whatever. I don't think he needed to apologize. Like I said, I would not have said what he said, and it was probably, definitely not said in the best way, for sure. But it's not like he was offending any particular person or people. Like, I don't think an apology was necessary, maybe a clarification. Like, I wouldn't call his follow-up doubling down. I would call it an elaboration of what he was trying to say, and it was not, I didn't find it to be nasty, I didn't find it to be aggressive. You know, compared to the most things that we see on social media, like, I thought it was pretty tame and mild, but I, I understand the thinking that, like, first of all, he shouldn't have posted this in the in the first place because what positive outcome is going to come from from that post? I'm not sure. Maybe dialogue, yeah. and maybe that is positive. But- I
1: mean, there, there's again, like, I I think. Communica- or the reason we have this podcast is we do think that there's a positive to airing the grievances within our community. We think that hopefully it's going to start important conversation. I don't think there's something wrong about Rabbi Berg saying, hey, I think there's an important conversation to be had. But I think the way he did it uh, was not, was not, I right. think, the most appropriate. You're right. There's a lot worse on social media. Speaking of a lot worse on social media, let's get into some of the comments. Okay. So I think we can actually start by a few past guests from Talking Talkless.
0: Yeah, I saw three past guests who commented on this
1: if there are more, please, <laughs> listeners, share with us. But uh, one of the first ones was from Rabbi Ben Greenfield, mm-hmm. who's a friend of both of ours, to, to just be clear, and also a past guest. And he wrote uh, a series of three tweets in a row. He wrote, The Steven Berg tweet was in poor taste, and I think advocating the wrong policy, but it was not in any way relevant to discussions of pikuach nefesh. There are good reasons to wear a mask, but pikuach nefesh has a fairly well-defined meaning overriding mitzvah obligations in the face of present mortal danger. It does not mean, cannot mean, to never do anything like drive in a car, go swimming, that might put your life at risk. People love wearing cloth masks in February 2022 and calling it pikuach nefesh, while also driving on roads or enjoying a recreational ski weekend. So basically, he was saying he disagrees with Rabbi Steven Berg, but people who are kind of calling in the comments, which... Many see, comments you know, like this. Like, yes, you're putting ma- oh people's like, lives in danger, oh, Piku
0: Ach nefesh, saving life. You're yeah. letting
1: people die, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, that's really an overreaction. That's not actually what pikuach nefesh actually is. Right.
0: Yeah, another another past guest, friend of the show, who commented was Rabbi Daniel Atwood, um, who had one that was just interesting. He said... Thinking of all the times gay students at YU were told that if, quote, we don't like the rules, we can go somewhere else. And then a questioning emoji. Um, I thought that was a good line. I, I actually
1: mean I wasn't 100% sure what. It felt like he was calling someone out, and I feel oh, like it's me, and I'm just missing it. Who do you oh, think he was
0: calling out there? I think what he's saying to Rabbi Berg is... And I don't think Rabbi Berg ever said this, or I didn't see him say it, but like, you know, to gay students, like, hey, if you, why doesn't have a gay club, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And here, Rabbi Berg is saying, I don't like the rules of the mask requirements. And so Atwood is saying, well, why don't you just go somewhere else? Like, you don't have oh, to, you don't have to I be associated see, with see. YU if you don't like their rules, kind of like calling that double standard. I don't think it's the same, but it, it was an interesting point. I thought it made me got chuckle. Got it, got
1: it, got it. Okay, so that was just me being dumb. Interesting. Uh, the third one, which I think is a, a really, really important one, uh, was from Rabbi Heshi Billet, who was our the, the the big COVID guest that we had on because, right, right of course, his congregation, exactly, was one of the first. And Rabbi Glott, who is also on the rabbinic staff at his shul, young Israel of Woodmere, is one of the big doctors who is very involved in setting po- COVID policy with the county, I think maybe even with the state, New York State. He wrote in a comment on Rabbi Berg's Facebook post, Dear Rabbi Berg, in my opinion, the problem is with what you said and how you said it. Look carefully at what you said. COVID has done a lot to the world as we knew it. People are scared. No one, including the doctors, really know how to react. You are an important Jewish educator. Is your annoyance at what irked you at the YU's firearm sale really a reminder of anything of the YU community or anything else? What does it have to do with YU's relevance? And when you attempted to explain yourself, I found your words to be mean-spirited about the current YU administration. To explain, he basically called out two people who are not, who are
0: no, no, he, no, he didn't call them out, I, two, I didn't read that part of the yeah, letter. Yeah. He, he said, if these two people were still there, maybe we could get something done, but right, they exactly. left and they haven't been replaced. Right. So he, he wasn't he calling subtly, anyone out who was there, he right. was saying, we don't have the good I mean, he was subtly saying, oh, the current administration right, not by is, name, is but yeah, you know, yeah. not what it used right. to be. I appreciate that feedback from Robbie Billet. Like that is also what I was wondering. Like, what does this have to do with modern orthodoxy? Yeah.
1: Right, right, right. And then his last line was, Your comments were plain unnecessary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, so those are those That's are. That's a good all word. Unnecessary from... is
0: maybe a good word for it, to be yeah. honest.
1: <laughs> I agree. I think I I liked Robbie Bellet's comment. And then actually someone left a comment in response to him. Is actually I'm not even gonna say his name because it was actually I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he intended to direct it elsewhere and not towards Rabbi Belec's comments, even though it is it is linked as a reply, but maybe he messed up. You know, older people, who knows how to use the internet? Um, but this is a fairly well-known person in the Orthodox community who has worked in communication in media relations for the OU, for YU, right? He's very involved in Jewish community work. He wrote, you should look into therapy. Assuming you were playing with a full deck before COVID, all this has clearly broken you. Which like,
0: That's completely (laughs) inappropriate.
1: Yeah. I mean, just going back to the thing that like the Internet really, it's a boucher the way people can feel comfortable talking to each other.
0: Absolutely terrible. And there there are many other comments. Here's right. So I'll read one more just kind of representing the nastiness on the other side. Um, It's very short and to the point and I think represents many, many of these comments. The comment also, it's from somebody that I know, but I'm not going to say his name. He says, Mm -hmm. Steve, this is this is to the original Rabbi Berg, Steven Berg um, tweet. Yeah. Steve, when did you become an idiot? <laughs> it made me laugh, to be honest. But <laughs> okay, I hope Robert Berg laughed. Uh, uh, y- y- yeah, y- I don't know. Um, the way I, that people yeah, feel comfortable it's it's so talking sad. to
1: each other. Oh, my God. Awful.
0: I think just taking a step back, uh, there, there are a lot of things to discuss here, and we can't get to everything, and we're already kind of like you know a bunch yeah. of the way into our time here but just telling the story took too Yeah long. telling the story I think maybe raising the questions is more important than trying to give answers it's really about the divisiveness that covid has caused both in society at large and also in the jewish community unfortunately it's. I don't think it's something that people would have predicted, if anything, a lot of people th- were thinking or would have thought that something like yeah. COVID would bring people together. And yeah. not only has it been divisive, it's been so politically divisive, like down party lines, yeah. which is really shocking to me. I mean, I'm not shocked anymore. But like, it's something that I would never have thought that something like this could possibly be political I guess maybe I was just naive but I mean but in terms of like the mask mandate specifically I mean Robert Berg says that he's triple vax so this is not a vac an anti-vax thing I think honestly that's like a totally different discussion and it's a much more serious discussion because then you really are getting into like life and death kind of things Mm -hmm. this is about masks and it's about cloth masks and it's about cloth masks at a point where I think this was actually this day, the day that he posted was like the day after New York State removed their indoor mandate for ma- mask mandate. Um, I, I think people in terms of the political thing and the divisiveness, like there have been there's been so much preaching and calling out from the left-wing end and the democratic end, and then the hypocrisy. A lot of it is just so comical, but you had, you know, right before the Super Bowl, Eric Garcetti and Gavin Newsom, the mayor of LA and the governor of uh, California when there was a mandate that you had to wear a mask indoors and you had to wear a mask at any gathering larger than 5,000 people and they're at a football game and they take pictures, each one takes a picture with Magic Johnson and they're not wearing a mask and these are the people mm-hmm. in charge who are making the rules and then Garcetti, the mayor, said well, I was holding my breath, which is like <laughs> so, even if he was, like he, that's so laughable, I'm sorry even if he was, and Newsom said yeah. well, I was holding it in my hand and I just do it quickly for the picture or whatever. It's like,
1: like, did you see all the responses like uh, comparing it to Bill Clinton Clinton's like oh I didn't inhale
0: uh, oh that's funny. it's like
1: hilarious like it's like ridiculous like, like it's, it's obviously so irrelevant
0: ridiculous. you're the one making the law making yeah. people's lives difficult it's and embarrassing you're not following. yeah I think honestly there's there's a whole long list and it goes back you know from um, Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done when salons weren't allowed to be open and mm-hmm. Newsom also the same guy governor this led to a recall election he almost got kicked out because he had dinner um, at a, an indoor restaurant basically when you weren't he said you weren't allowed to do that but I think what was really bad was Stacey Abrams just very recently. Um, went to a school and took a picture with all the, all these students, all these young kids wearing, they're all wearing masks and she's sitting on the floor with them and she's not wearing a mask. And yes, I mean, you can say, well, because she just took it off for the picture and and whatever and she's an important figure and you have to see who it is. Whatever it is, totally irrelevant. If you're, No
1: one wouldn't have known who it was. It's crazy.
0: You're preaching these things <laughs> and you're calling people out for risking people's lives and then you yourself, the people who are the most preachy and, the, and setting these things in place, are just flaunting and not holding and it's so lack of self-awareness because that picture was actually posted by her own team she was mm-hmm. posting oh vit talked about you know Martin Luther King day talked with the students about about civil rights and stuff and it's just like when people see that I'm not justifying the the other end of like just the denial and whatever but like that is the context where some of this pushback is coming from and it's it, those things have just eroded people's faith and trust in authority and in politicians and it's very honestly just very scary and sad to me.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. I sure. I mean <laughs> the hypocrisy of leadership from people on any end of the political spectrum is not something that I'm, well, I will ever disagree with. Yes, that is 100% specifically,
0: sure. Yeah, specifically with masks and specifically now in January, February 2022, like, you know, the Super Bowl, uh, Biden was asked before the Super Bowl, do you think it's important? Or I don't know exactly how it was worded about the mask mandate at the Super Bowl. Said, yeah, it's very important. Everyone has to do it. And then you watch the Super Bowl and all the celebrities and the p- people who were there, whatever, all these left wing yeah. people, nobody's wearing masks. Wait, so- there was
1: a mandate for the Super Bowl?
0: Yeah, um, because it was semi indoors and also it was a gathering of more than five thousand people. Same thing. It was the, when Magic Johnson took that picture with Garcetti and um, Newsom. It was in the same football stadium at a game two weeks before. Oh, I thought and the, the same it, mandate they was still in place since then. Wow. No, I don't think so. The point is, oh, like yeah. specifically with masks, specifically with cloth masks, it's become a joke. And so then mm-hmm. to call people out and like to make mandates that are like making p- making people's lives difficult, like yeah, it, it's. <laughs> I personally don't mind it. I'll put on a mask, okay? But like, I understand why people care, and I understand why people are basically saying. And this get. Let's talk about the YU for a second, maybe, because it's like YU is not known as like a bastion of like liberal, you know, philosophy um, and liberal politics for sure, um, which is interesting because I think it depends where you're starting from. Like, if you're in the more right wing Yeshivish world, you probably do see YU as like a liberal institution, and if you're in like the left wing Orthodox or more left than that, you see YU probably as like an oppressive, you know, far, yeah. like far right Trumpist institution, whatever, which is just interesting how people see it so differently. But I, I well, don't know. That's do, also I,
1: what's fascinating. If you go yeah. to shuls like all over the country, the, the more right wing, even within the modern Orthodox community, which is ridiculous because it's such a small community, right? I think modern Orthodox is like 4% or something like that. Like modern Orthodox, it's crazy tiny, but even within modern Orthodoxy, the more quote unquote left wing shuls, are mm-hmm. being more stringent about masks and mandates yes. and you have to upload yes. your vaccine card and like all those things and and it's completely politicized
0: right which is sad and i think the the hypocrisy though is like the the part that kind of t- takes that apart it's like sort of like on the public facing policy side yes more left-wing places um are stricter but on a personal level a lot of these people I mean, you know, i'm talking about politicians but i'm not talking about shul people but like these politicians have so many of them, if not all of them, have been shown to be hypocrites and not following their own rules when it comes to like their personal parties, like the, you know the Obama 60th birthday party when all these like top Democrat people were all there without masks, and this was like many months ago. So I mean that the hypocrisy is like a different part of it, but yes, it's very weird that it's politicized. But I, I was just saying like YU does not fall neatly into the right left. If anything, it's more right for sure in terms right. of the, the student body. But yet they have been very strict because it's also a college, and, and, and universities have been very strict with COVID laws and right. like. there's Especially YU, I feel I like know. has
1: their own trauma from the beginning of COVID. But so in that particular vein, um, I think why as trying to sort of straddle this line where there are many students who are very upset. And there's been a lot of uh, writing about this in the commentator, the YU student newspaper about being upset that they want the band. lifted and stuff like that. Um, Akiva Weisinger, who is a rabbi who is also a very active member of Twitter and part of the, uh, he's the founder of a, a very well-known Facebook group called God doesn't care about your opinion. He, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, Jewish texts and ideas. He, Posted on Twitter, let's be real, this isn't about COVID-19, this is about him, meaning Rabbi Berg wanting why you to signal they're on his team that's why there's that bit about relevance if you don't cater to the new right-wing orthodoxy you will become irrelevant meaning his team I, is I like think,
0: yeshivish right-wing orthodox right
1: exactly meaning mm-hmm. everyone why you not really making a decision or trying to say something explicitly and people on the right or Rabbi Berg specifically saying like hey if you want to be a signal that you're on the right side you should be lifting xyz and, and, and I think part of the evidence, quote unquote, that he uses about Rabbi Berg is he uh, showed a past tweet that Rabbi Berg had posted, which was a photo of him with uh, someone who works at Newsmax, which is a Newsmax is basically for the people who think that Fox News is way too liberal.
0: Right, I think that's a little ridiculous. I, I don't know. It's just it, that's a, it's funny in a way because first of all, the Newsmax thing—I don't know anything about that—but like, I'm you know, if a super left-wing person wanted to come visit Aish and take pictures in front of the hotel, I'm sure he'd be thrilled to do it. And I think it's just that those people just don't want to do that. To be fair, the people are the are who are coming to the hotel and coming to Aish are the right-wing people, and he'll why would he say no to them? That's one. You thing.
1: think when like J Street sends like people to Jerusalem and sends people to the hotel? Rabbi Berg would That's love taking J- pictures J- J and tweeting
0: is, out. J Street is a, like, p- is a political politically active group. I'm talking about just like a public um, figure or a, a reporter. Newsmax.
1: No, this is Newsmax. No, Newsmax it's not like they're not pretending to be a uh, media. They're not pretending to be, you know, middle no, of the road. So
0: the equivalent would not be J Street. The equivalent would be someone from MSNBC or from, from CNN coming to visit Aish. You think Newsmax would say no is to not
1: the equivalent. Newsmax is a very, very, very right-wing of political... Of course. I
0: understand. But they're, they're a news organization. So comparing them to J Street is just not a, a fair comparison. They're I two th- totally th- different I think things. You could,
1: I think many, many people make the claim that Newsmax is absolutely an advocacy organization, not Okay. A news what, organization. Whatever.
0: I don't know anything. Uh, that's not really... Uh, fine. Okay. You should check out Newsmax. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't, I've never seen it. I really don't know anything yeah. about it. But... It's just funny to me to hear YU being criticized as like so liberal and like not wanting to assert itself as being, uh, you know, conservative and right wing, because that's really not the reputation that I'm familiar with from YU. Like, we've had episodes on, the very, on this very podcast, mostly revolving around LGBTQ issues, basically painting many people painting YU as like this close-minded, regressive, you know, politically, right. uh, sorry, religiously fundamentalist um, institution. So I don't think they can possibly be both at one time. I mean, it is a big place. So there's probably elements of all kinds of things there. But I don't, I really don't think knowing why pretty well, and I'm there a lot because I, I filmed there a lot. Like, I don't think these decisions are coming from like, a democratic liberal agenda of that like in the in the way that a gavin newsom kind of thing uh mandate is coming from like it's really not what f- the way that i am familiar with it would be it would be it's funny to say it that way i think it's more just like what are the other universities in new york doing what are we doing in terms of our liability for you know for the safety of our of our students i really think that's where the decisions are coming from and maybe they're making the wrong decisions i'm not sure but it's it's definitely not coming from like a a political place i really don't think
1: right and it's interesting in thinking of that sort of like if their first pri- as a university you would hope that their first priority is the safety of their students the safety of the visitors and it, it ironically you know it's not the same thing but one of the big discussion points that has been in the news in the past few months was about this YU student who was alleged to have raped another student. And one of the big things that people are upset with YU about for the way they handle that is that this did not leave students in the campus feeling more safe, especially this girl who felt like she, her safety was denied over and over, right? So like, I do think that it's funny. Someone even tweeted, and I assume that this person was not trying to... Be ironic. Someone tweeted, Rabbi Berg is absolutely correct. Unfortunately, YU tends to just follow whatever the liberal elite consensus is, no matter how silly or inane. And right now, the progressive elite are still masking, which is ridiculous. And a lot of people were, I mean,
0: right. you might think that yeah, was a joke. Ridiculous. Like, it's hard yeah. to know if that was being sarcastic <laughs> or not. And I also just want to say, I, I work with YU students all the time on both campuses. And I've never heard anyone or say or speak about the idea of like students feeling unsafe on campus. I'm not diminishing the well, story the, of that student, but I'm just, right. I don't think that's a per- yeah, prevalent I mean, perspective on, among students. Right.
1: Oh, I would hope not. I mean, she clearly said it and it's clearly something that, that she so shared from her feels, perspective. Right. Um, but also, it, meaning, I'm saying if YU thinks that there is a minority of students who feel safer with masking mandates being a little bit more stringent than the state in general, then I think that's sort of commendable, that well, YU is right. putting safety of students a little bit higher yes, than they need to, to be. Yes,
0: to be fair and honest, I also don't think that is the prevalent um, perspective of students. Also, like, for having been there the last number of months, in the beginning... No, like, I'm talking...
1: I said minority. W- right, Meaning, right. like, what? if there is a, a small group that they're trying to look out for, I, I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's nineteen twenty year olds uh, of all demographics are the ones that are least concerned about like you know their mortality and stuff. and right. uh, you know they were enforcing the masks um, early in the fall semester, but like in recent um, months and weeks, really not. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think the the I think a very, very small minority of the students actually want mask mandates c- completely in the school. But, I mean, that's also not what should determine the policy. The policy should be determined by experts who uh, have some sort of idea on uh, what is safest and what makes sense, which is also part of the problem, which is uh, we've seen so many times over the last two years. I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's just there's no disputing that the quote-unquote experts have said things as if they were fact and then they turned out to be not facts you know so that doesn't mean we don't we shouldn't listen to them they uh, everyone makes mistakes but that's part of the whole thing we've spoken about it the the eroding of the trust you know and um i I think it leaves us in a very (laughs) tricky place i don't know it's scary
1: Mm -hmm.
0: all right do you have any closing thoughts before we before we finish it feels right now like the Omicron wave was, was pretty bad and I think unexpected because I really felt like things were getting better and then they got worse. I It feels right now and I really hope that things are, are now for real getting better and we're moving past this. And I hope that the scars and the trauma that were psychological trauma that was caused by this, especially the rifts in our own community, will heal and we'll, we can move past it. But it doesn't feel like it's moving in that direction. And it's very, I find it very sad and, and scary.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, I I don't. To me, the the rifts are not from COVID. The rifts are from everything before that, right? The rifts are from everything that led up to Trump and ex- were exacerbated during the time of Trump, and still very much exist and even stronger now. The politis politicization, you love that as word. you know, I always have <laughs> trouble with that one. The politicization of COVID, I think, is very directly related to all of the angst and all of the pain and all of the trauma that, that built up to it. Um, and I think it's I think it's definitely very upsetting, but I'm not sure that it could just go away without some like really, really, really deep work that I don't know if anyone feels equipped. I think everyone's so angry. It doesn't feel I mean, like I'm,
0: it's going away. It feels like it's getting worse.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I I think that a lot of people who were involved in these conversations could could stand to take 12 steps back and yes, maybe the people they were responding to were purely inappropriate, but I think they could, they could think a little bit differently of how they spoke. And maybe, you know what, honestly, maybe we are, maybe I'm going to re-listen to the, to this conversation, you know, when we release this episode, I'm mm-hmm. going to say the same thing about myself. I I, I hope I do. I, I'm not better than anyone else, or like, I, I say things that I regret a mm-hmm. hundred times. That I'm never going to you know... apologize for anything. <laughs> well, you don't have to, you know, right. not I you. Never, yeah, just kidding. All right. So as always, as always, the conversation does not end with us. We want to hear what all of you think. Please join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Tachlis Podcast, and send us an email, talkingtachlispodcast at gmail.com.
0: Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Tachlis.
1: Don't forget to contact us about Tinder Swindler. Bye, everyone.
0: Zagazun.